Welcome to another episode of Let's Connect. It's Keith McPherson here, your host, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by actually one of my family members who just finished writing a children's book. Ruth Wellborn, my dad's cousin, also known as my cousin Ruth, um, wrote this book all about Canada's north, including Alaska, I should say as well. And it's a book that really opens you up to the culture of what it's like to be up in the northern regions of our world. Absolutely incredible interview and talk with Ruth coming up on the show. And before we get into the conversations with Ruth about what it took to write her book and all of the experiences from the north, I also wanted to spend a bit of time just sharing what the experience was like as well to just finish writing a brand new book that came out this month, Making Sense of Mindfulness, my new book. And uh, this all started for me five years ago. I every single morning get up and the first thing I do is I light a candle. I sit in a room that I've dedicated specifically to meditation and mindfulness and yoga practice. And so five years ago, I'm sitting in the room and I'm doing my morning meditation. And part of that involves after I've sat for a while and just gotten really still, I have a scribbler and I usually write just one page every single day in the scribbler, just kind of a free write, like whatever comes to me, I just channel it in. And this particular day, five years ago, I started writing and it felt like my hand just took over and it it was about three hours of just intense writing. It felt like what some people might call automatic writing where I didn't even have a choice. It was just the words were flowing out and my hand was just listening almost to wherever that creative source was speaking from. And before too long, I had, um, well, two full scribblers full of the words for this book. Um, It took me about three years, I'd say, just about three years to, to pen the entire thing. But I was so intrigued by this process of just going back and, and writing. I had never, ever had the inclination to write a book or be an author. And that particular morning when this started, I was just like, how is this possible? But you know, when we're really paying attention and we're listening, sometimes that creative source just takes us over and steers us in directions that we couldn't have even imagined. So for me, this is what happened. And uh, after the, the book was originally handwritten, I, I handed it into uh, my publisher and it went on to the editing process where it went back and forth between me and uh, this amazing editor named Angie. And um, long story short, I got the books back a few months ago, the advanced copies of the book. Pure Later pulled up at my house with 2,500 advanced copies. I have to tell you, that was a lot of boxes to carry into my garage. And the first thing I did is I picked up the book and I opened it up. And it was just the most surreal feeling to be holding a book that was literally channeled from scratch uh, into my hands, the final copy. And I looked and I, I just started reading it. And all of a sudden I thought maybe there was a print error because as I was reading some of the lines of this book, I thought, I don't recall writing this stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I think about it, it's just quite a fascinating thing because I do believe that um, a lot of the work that that we do in the world is channeled. It's channeled from a place called the higher self. And in fact, in this book, I I speak about that. It can't be named, but this higher self essence to who we are, this creative source that, you know, uh, is where we originated from, I believe. And we're here in this physical body for a few years, hopefully a long few years. And then we return back to this creative source, this place of oneness, this place of connection, this place of non-separation. So to tap into that place is quite a powerful thing. 
And one of the ways that I've found to do that is to just learn how to start listening to your intuition. That creative spirit, that oneness comes through the unconscious mind or the, uh, the intuitive body, so to speak. So when you're listening and not just uh, tuning into your busy monkey mind, I call it, or the, the saboteur mind that's always talking in our, our overthinking conscious brains, but to start tuning into that unconscious, that, um, those sensations, those little whispers of the heart that say, call this person or pick up your pen and write or start typing into your computer. Or for those of you that are musicians, pick up your guitar and just write this song about whatever the topic is. Um, this thing is constantly available to us. You don't have to be an artist to access it. We all have access to this place. And so I encourage you to just listen. And if you're, if you really want an exercise, one of the most powerful is to just literally take your hand on your heart, close your eyes and just ask, what do you truly want from me right now? And just have your mind listen. And when you're listening, the heart speaks in this language of sensation and intuition. It's just very, very silent. And I suspect that that's how a lot of the books and um, and all sorts of things in the world get written and created. Everything from what you're doing for a career to how you arrived here on the planet. You know, it was only once imagined in that imagination of ours. So today I'm really, really excited to speak with Ruth Wellborn. She's the author of this brand new book called Never Rub Noses with a Narwhal. Um, if you're not sure what a narwhal is, you're about to find out. And uh, what's really cool is Ruth um, wrote the book and her son, my other cousin, Morgan Wellborn, uh, did the illustrations. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book all about um, the northern part of our world. And there's just some great pictures in here. I, it was originally written for children, but um, I think it really relates to all of us and could be a really, really neat read, a short, very short read, but a very, very neat read to just become more acquainted with this part of um, our worldly culture. So with that being said, I want to introduce you now to author, award-winning author, Ruth Wellborn. All right, joining me here at my parents' house where we're recording this podcast in town in Winnipeg today, Ruth Wellborn is here. Uh, one of my relatives who's just released this amazing book. Ruth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Keith. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's been a really exciting week for you, it sounds like. It has been, yeah. Yeah, catch me up. What's been happening? Well, last Thursday night was the official launch of the book at McNally Robinson in Saskatoon. And uh, I had friends from far and near and uh, people I hadn't seen for 40 years. One of the guys who was worked with me when I first encountered belugas and polar bears in Churchill, um, heard about it somehow and, and showed up, which was really exciting. So it was nice to, to catch up with him. And then the following day, um, my publisher phoned to say that the cover of our book has been selected as the cover of Ingram Press's next installment of the Booksellers magazine. Wow. And because of that, uh, because I allowed it, <laughs> um, they will give me a full-page spread uh, in the catalog. How awesome. What does that mean? In uh, uh, I, well, What I think it means is the magazine is not for public consumption. It goes to 2,000 of the biggest booksellers in the United States. It goes to... Um, 
librarians. Fantastic. Uh, I think Ingram has presses in Great Britain and Australia as well, so their catalog is dispersed. Wow. And so then this is the first book people see when they check out the uh, new listings. That's amazing. Through Ingram Press. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, and the big news, this that's just like that's just a little bit. Yeah. The big news is this yeah. is already an award-winning book. Yes. Tell uh, me about that. Effective yesterday, I got an email. I had applied to the American uh, Bookfest Awards and they entered the book in two categories, children's educational and children's illustrated nonfiction. And we are the winner of the wow. children's educational, and we were a finalist in the other category. Congratulations! Thank How you. awesome is that? Yeah. And and if you you those of you tuning in right now, the book is called Never Rub Noses with a Narwhal. Right. Now I have no idea what a narwhal is. To be honest, what the heck is that? A narwhal <laughs> is a small whale. Okay. And are you familiar with a beluga? Uh, I've heard of beluga whales. Okay. They're the only two species in that family. Uh, they're very closely related, but the narwhal has a long tusk. used to be called the unicorn of the sea. Wow. As, and it grows, it can be up to, I don't know, 10 feet long. Wow. Uh, they don't really know. Scientists are still trying to figure out what it does, but they think echolocation and, and just... I've got a bigger tusk than he's got, so I'm more attractive to the females. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're thinking that's uh, what it's all about. And the tusk is actually a tooth, and it's only in males. Oh. Well, not true. Very rarely a female will grow a small tusk. But what it is is the left tooth, they have two teeth, and the left one erupts through the, through the mouth and yeah. grows into a tusk. Wow, is that ever amazing? Yeah, so they don't use it for spearing food or anything. It would be useless to have your food eight eight feet out at the end of your tusk. Uh, so they think maybe they dig in the sand to uh, stir up, you know, clams and mollusks and such. And then they just sort of vacuum it up, just suck their food. They have no teeth for chewing, so they just suck their food in whole. Wow, I'm and wondering if this is the first time a book has been written about a narwhal. Well, <laughs> Unbelievable. you know, isn't that interesting? One would like to think so, but yeah. when the book was first listed on Amazon, a friend of mine phoned almost in tears and said, do you know there is another book called Never Rub Noses with a Narwhal? And I said, you're joking. She said, no, go online. There, there it is. You're kidding. A woman in Quebec wrote a book, and... Because the narwhal, you know, never rub noses. Why would you rub noses with it's this long huge, long, nose. sharp tusk? Yeah. And her book was uh, about odd animals, hmm. you know, different, different, unique animals. So it's it's very different than this one, but it was kind of disappointing because I thought, oh, what a clever title. No yeah. doubt, yeah. It was so clever. Somebody else thought of it first. Well, just um, in, in a, sh a quick read through your book. This is, for those of you listening, this is a, a children's book primarily, and it goes through all the different letters of the alphabet and correlates, it looks like, to all of the different animals and species of northern Canada. Is that correct? Uh, northern Canada and Alaska. And Alaska. So it's Alaska, Yukon, Northwest Territories and none of it. I've sort of covered them, covered them all. There's um, specific references to each of them, um, and then there are some that are just northern. And so, if you're in Alaska, you can assume that Isaac and is building his gack in 
in um, Alaska if you want, or if you're in Yukon, you can assume. I mean, this one is definitely Hootalinqua is in the Yukon. That's amazing. And each so, letter has a reference to something up north. This is amazing. Yeah. And it's, wow. it's alliterative. Um, as a former teacher, I wanted it to be informative. I wanted it to be attractive. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted some, some educational intrinsic value. So by doing the alliteration, um, children who recognize you know, initial sounds or rhyming ending sounds tend to develop their phonemic awareness earlier and have an easier time learning to read. So I thought rather than just doing A is for something, that right. I would take a, a different approach just, and I went with the alliterative approach. I so. love it. So for M, I'm looking, a muskrat meanders through the muskeg. Yeah. I like it. It's very memorable. This reminds me in the mindfulness work that I do, um, the unconscious mind and how it remembers things through repetition and patterns. Yeah. And this book, I can see how it would quickly get into your unconscious mind just yeah. because of all the rhythm and um, the alliteration that's happening in here. Yeah. Awesome. And then there's also, because there's so many words in there, um, I mean, an ABC book, you think of very small children. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm finding kids 10, 12, because I put a glossary of words, a lot of the northern words are not too familiar to people. So for each letter, I chose one of the words out of, out of the little narrative alliteration and gave gave them a, a sort of a definition of what a cloudberry would be or what a mm, narwhal or you right. know something that that's unfamiliar to them and then there's a map of the four territories and then there's interesting facts about three interesting facts about each of the territories so oh, that way kids are using it also as um, you know for some research for little school projects. I've had teachers tell me that there's lots of information across the curriculum. I mean, you could do uh, science, you can do environment, you can do geography, you know. Right. It triggers a lot of ideas as I'm looking through this book. Yeah. It's amazing. I wish the listeners could actually see it right now. Um, I just want to go back to uh, the process of writing this book and uh, what inspired it. And have you always been a writer or is this your first book? First book. And what inspired it was uh, probably four or five years ago at Christmas, both my children are home. Our daughter lives in Yellowknife, and our son was in Edmonton at the time. And we were sitting around at Christmas having a glass of wine, playing Scrabble, and my daughter was bemoaning the fact that she couldn't find any northern-themed children's books to give us baby gifts. Hmm. And I said, oh, that's odd. I can't believe it. And she said, well, there's, there, there are books out there, but there's nothing that... And she was thinking in terms of the prairie alphabet. I don't know if you know that. But I've it, heard about that. It's a Saskatchewan-based uh, farming sort of alphabet book. And she said, there's nothing like that uh, for the North. And so we continued playing and talking and probably had a second glass of wine I'm not sure and she <laughs> said you know what you're retired teacher you write a book and I said oh maybe I could and my son is uh, an illustrator well not an illustrator until this book he's a graphic designer and artist and she said and Morgan you should do the illustrations wow and he said okay so 
And before the night was over, we had come up with the title, and I think the first illustration he did was the narwhals under the northern lights, and I decided I liked it so well that that would be the, the cover of the book. Unbelievable. And, and so then I thought, now how does one go about doing this? And so I thought, I just checked publishers in Canada, and uh, we have one in Saskatoon, Thistledown Press, and they do more literature, you know, mm -hmm. they're not this kind of book. So somebody suggested Friesen Press, and I contacted them. They do a lot of Margaret Atwood's books. Okay. And I thought, you know what? If it's good enough for Margaret Atwood, it's, it's probably good enough. It's good enough for Ruth Welburn. Yeah. <laughs> so I phoned them, and they were just amazing, right from start to finish. That's they've incredible. Been, yeah, they've been extremely helpful. They made it just a really fun and easy process to to work through. Well, wow. one thing I'm really appreciating about this story and about you is how you really were just, it seems like, trusting your intuition. And it seems like from start to now being an award-winning book, it, it almost feels like there's been a real flow to the process of it happening. Like, it seems like it seems to be, like it's unfolding fairly easy. Like, it's just happening. It is. You know, it, it's the strangest thing. I'm, I'm still amazed that I'm looking at you holding a book that that, that you I wrote. wrote, yeah. Um, but it it was very seamless. I guess the biggest issue was um, from the time that we conceived the idea. Um, Morgan moved from Edmonton, uh, moved to Toronto, got a new job, this got is a the new girlfriend, <laughs> got a life, mm -hmm. and this was not his top priority. Right. Obviously, so a little bit um, of a hurdle. Mm -hmm. But so it took longer than than I hoped. That was that was really the only. And there were periods during this that I thought, oh, this is never this is never gonna happen. We're right. never gonna get them all finished. And uh, then we finally did. And yeah, unbelievable. Um, do you believe? I, I'm just curious about your belief on this. Like the process of creation, and as a teacher, uh, coming up with lesson plans for years, uh, tapping into the creative place where these books get written like how do you tap into that how did this idea i mean beyond sitting at the scrabble board going we need a book about the north <laughs> but the actual writing process for you of of tapping into it how did you access the ideas well the the original um the first time i ran into belugas and, and polar bears uh was in the very very early 70s i was working for the railroad canadian national during the summers mm. and um, in 1971, I was in Churchill, uh, Woboden, Gillum, all the little stops along the line, and eventually uh, in Churchill. And I had swum in the Pacific Ocean, and I had swum in the, the Atlantic Ocean, and I thought, you know, Hudson Bay, this is probably as close as I'm going to get to the Arctic Ocean. So I decided to go for a swim, and I had some of my colleagues were with me saying, it might be July, but it's too cold. Mm. You shouldn't be. I said, no. I'm going swimming. So I went in and I heard yelling and I looked back and um, my friends were on the beach waving and calling me to come back. And I looked and here was this herd or pod of belugas wow. coming towards me. And I mean, they wouldn't have hurt me, but it's just kind of uh, startling, you know, <laughs> to be in this big body of water freezing cold and to have these animals coming towards me so anyway I turned around and swam like mad back for shore <laughs> and got there and they they come in quite shallow and you could 
could see them all. And I was just absolutely fascinated to have been swimming with them. Um, I mean, I've swum with dolphins in Cuba and Jamaica and places. Right, this doesn't is the hold a candle. This it is the natural territory. Like, yeah, wow. it was. And then, of course, in Churchill, the polar bears, the, the the village dump is full of polar bears. But often they would wander through town as well. And so I've always had a real interest. I've been intrigued by the North. I like the people. I like the art. I like, and I've been fortunate enough to have family uh, living in the North pretty much since the early 60s. I've had, you know, an uncle who was a superintendent of schools up there. Mm. My brother was there for 30 years, and he was from Repulse Bay to Resolute to Yellowknife. And, and so there's always been this Northern connection. And it, it honestly, it just really flowed. Um, Amazing. The only difficulty, X and Y, of course, um, I had to do some a little bit of research to find an X and Y word. <laughs> what did um, you come up with? I'm curious what uh, you came up with. <laughs> xanthoric lichen wow. and yarrow both grow near Yellowknife. So X <laughs> and Y are a combined page. Okay. And E and F are combined. I mean, you would think E and Fs, uh, but there really wasn't anything um, really specifically northern. So mm. it's just an amalgam of... of plants and animals that are, are found in the north. And then, of course, what would a Canadian book be without a Zamboni? So, Zed. Um, <laughs> it could have been zooplankton <laughs> or something that animals feed on, but I hadn't really highlighted a Calouet, the, pr the uh, capital of Nunavut, so the Zamboni zooms around the ice palace in Iqaluit. I love it. That's fine. That's so Canadian. Yeah, and yeah. by the way, I wouldn't have known that except your brother Darcy goes to Iqaluit. That's right. As you know, to, to Raf. And I said, Raf Hockey. Yeah, yes. What's the uh, hockey rink called there? And he said, oh, it's the Arctic Winter Games Palace. So I said, perfect. Wow. It wrecks the alliteration, but it, it gives them a little uh, nod to Iqaluit. That's so. amazing. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your perspective on the North and what it is about the Northern culture that um, pulls to you and calls to you. Like, what, what is it about the North? I've never been there, so I can't speak myself about it. Um, well, I mean, the landscape. Uh, growing up in Manitoba or Saskatchewan, you know what, what great vistas are like. You know, you can look for miles. And, and it's very similar. It's very um, minimalist. Um, it, it's just open. You you feel like you can breathe. It's uh, I don't know. There's there's something evocative about about the place mm -hmm. and the people and the resilience, particularly of the in Inuit, when you consider uh, the hostile environment and how they've managed to live and create. S I mean, some of the the, n the native art is just. Amazing. Well, yeah, you're having a stunning. new Inuit art center built at WAG. Here um, in Winnipeg, yes. In Winnipeg, at showcasing, you know, northern art. And it, it's just jaw-dropping. I yeah. mean, and everything seems so artistic. Um, I don't know. And, and there's that sort of um, almost western uh, frontier-like feel <laughs> to it as well you know things are like the are wild west kind of yeah, feel still kind of rough and ready in places you know right and uh living off the land it's it's 
kind of a, a, and it's a place a lot of people don't know about. And I think it's time, uh, because it's changing with, you know, climate change and sea ice melting and glaciers melting, what it is now, it it may not always be like that. You know, polar bears are losing habitat, walruses, seals, uh, there's less and less sea ice for them. And so... I figured now is as good a time as any. And with, you know, with the country talking reconciliation and starting to understand all of us, um, we don't often think of of the Inuit as being part of that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they are. So Yeah, they're part was, of the country. Yeah, it's it was just kind of a... It all just seemed to fall in. How amazing. Place. Yeah, so it was... So aligned. It was... It was an easy book to write, actually. Um, I'd like to do another one. Right. Oh, yeah. You've <laughs> got an, have you got another one in the works already? I, I've got one in my head. But after the this one and the title being used by someone else, and I'm not sure because I thought it was so clever yeah. when we came up with it. I told everybody. I told everybody I met when we were away on holidays. I told friends. So whether it got out inadvertently or someone mentioned it or this other person just thought like I did, just happened on it. So I'm kind of keeping my next idea uh, under wraps a little bit. Oh, I see. I think it's still Northern. Yes. Great. You know, it's funny. This is bringing up, I've heard this before that um, even when there's a very similar idea or it feels like somebody's stealing your idea or um, no one will write it the same as you in that we all have an authentic perspective and voice. Right. So no one's going to write the exact same book. I kept hearing that because people would say to me, well, there's been a million books written on mindfulness. So what else is there to say? But not your book. But yeah, it comes back to like our stories and our perspectives and our own personal experience. And no one can live the life you've lived in mm-hmm. the North and whatnot. And so I, I think that's fascinating that you're working on more about this. I, I also want to hear about um, your, your work as a teacher. Now, I don't know if, were you teaching up north or was that, you were up there with the railway system, you were saying? I I was with the railroad when I first was in Churchill. Okay. Um, The furthest, I taught in northern Alberta. Uh, I've never taught in in the territories or or the Yukon. Right. I've taught in in northern Alberta and uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, but... Yeah. um, Yeah, when I was in Manning, which is uh, northern Alberta... Uh, I drive up to Yellowknife quite frequently. I had a brother and sister-in-law living there at the time. So, yeah. you know. Um, I, I want to hear about teaching and your perspective of it. I, I have a lot of teachers that tend to tune into this podcast and they are constantly wanting to hear perspective from other teachers as well. And uh, even if you're not a teacher listening, I'm sure there'll be some wisdom here. But um, for you, I want to hear what your favorite part of that profession was because... Um, there's, there's so much to being a teacher. What were, what were some of the highlights of like what you enjoyed the most about that profession? Um, well, over the years, I taught, I think, everything from kindergarten to grade 12, every subject except French and chemistry. Hmm. Um, I was a special ed phys ed specialist, was, was my area. I taught high school English. Um, but I think the most rewarding thing was... Um, just seeing the growth, just seeing children or teenagers, depending, who um, just just needed someone to 
kind of believe in them and spend that that extra time there are kids that are very easy to overlook mm -hmm. and they were the ones that always appealed to me more <coughs> than you know the the really bright students who couldn't do enough for you and um it's very re rewarding to work with them no question and it, it's wonderful to see really bright kids do well but it's I found it very rewarding to work with those who other people found maybe more challenging and would rather not deal with. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I did tend to, and maybe I was not the world's best student myself, <coughs> and and so I understood, you know, that there are different w different kids learn different ways. Right. And so you just have to kind of tap in and find out where where I can hook this kid. And uh, and when you do, when you get someone and you kind of get them hooked, mm -hmm. it, it's there's just nothing better. There's yeah. nothing better than, than seeing them have success. Small little bits of success. Just, and then they start feeling better about themselves and then you see more and more success coming. And yeah, it's, I think that's it. That was um, always, sort of the marginal student was was my uh, rising them up yeah and watching them my shift my favorites i love it um that's a gift to be able to do that and to work with students in that way and um to help them like believe in themselves and come into their own and champion them and encourage them and stuff i i it's so interesting when i speak with educators so often it's um they're, they're just such service oriented it's all about giving energy and helping and service and a lot of times they forget to replenish um i don't know if you ever experienced that as a teacher mm -hmm. but i know there's a lot of teachers that listen that go oh man i'm burnt out what do i do if you were to give some advice to teachers that are currently teaching that are very service oriented and helping out the community and need to replenish like what would you say to them what kind of advice would you give don't lose yourself if you have interests um don't say uh, i'll get back to painting some other time i've got lesson plans to do i've got report cards to write i've got parent teacher interviews i've got the curling team that i'm coaching <laughs> don't forget that to be a good teacher you have to be the best you and you get to be the best you when you take care of yourself and continue to explore your interests and maintain your relationships with friends and family and um, I think that's that's what happens it, it can be all-consuming mm -hmm. um, it's it's a big responsibility being mm -hmm. a teacher and but I really believe that you have to to be the best you before you can be a good teacher. I and love that. Yeah, and and lots of times we get lost, you know, and you, you forget that and you put things to the side and, you know, maybe relationships at home because you're busy, uh, kind of take a, a back seat and friends that you were always in touch with, you kind of lose touch because you're busy, mm -hmm. you know, and busy doesn't always make you that's better. not always the best. Yeah, busy doesn't make you better. <laughs> I like that. That's a good quote, actually. Busy doesn't make you better. That's right. like uh, tweet-worthy or what are they? That should be on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> busy doesn't or, uh, make you better. You know, like <laughs> work, what is it? Work, um, work and play. Work, and work smart, not... 
There's <laughs> a bunch know. of those sayings. Yeah, there's a bunch of those Don't sayings. Don't get too busy making a living that you forget to make a life. Right. I have a plaque that says that one. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it's true. I'm wondering too, like just in, what I'm appreciating is the fact that you've taken time to write the book, and maybe this is after teaching, but I get the sense that you... At most of the time didn't tend to lose yourself I've always seen you as somebody that like stays connected in the community and, and fuels yourself up would you say that's the case I would say that's the case um, yeah. I guess perhaps I'm selfish uh, and, and <laughs> <laughs> but there are I have a lot of interests there's things that, that I like to do I like people um, so I mean my church is important to me and all the activities surrounding that um, curling you know whatever what these things fuel you up. Yeah, and and just being out with people, and not always with teachers. It's it's nice to have friends outside uh, what you do all day long. For a long. living, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because it that can be that can be problematic too, when you work all day at school and then you socialize with nothing but your colleagues. Uh, you tend to fall into talking school and talking plans and talking. And, you know, it makes life. for a dull boy, you know, <laughs> yeah. this, the same people and, and the same conversations. So, yeah, it, it's important to be diverse. Absolutely. I, um, I know, too, that you've spent a lot of time living in small-town communities throughout your career and your life. Mm -hmm. And I also think you writing about the North and that kind of um, spacious, kind of quiet, serene nature connected. Um, was this intentional that you chose to live a life in these small towns? I mean, we were talking like small towns like Gladstone, and I think you were in McGregor for a while. And mm -hmm. I taught McGregor. Leader Saskatchewan. and yep. <laughs> Just yep. these small towns. Was it intentional, or did you just happen to show up in these places? Um, well, I guess it was um, based on, on my husband's job as well, and he was a director of education, and we, we were both teachers, and then he became a principal, and, and it was, I, I don't know, it's where the jobs took him, and we were always more interested in he grew up on a farm. I grew up on in small towns. Mm -hmm. uh, my my family. Uh, my dad was a railroader, so we were in small towns. Or in, and it's just a lifestyle that I always liked. I mean, I loved being close enough to Winnipeg to come in and go to the opera and the ballet, and you know, having all of the advantages of the big city close, but raising children in in an environment where. Um, you know, they knew everybody, everybody knew them, everyone kind of watching out for each other. Teachers know every kid in their class by name. They know the families. Um, yeah, it was, it was intentional. There were, there were certainly times we could have moved into bigger, bigger uh, communities, but we chose to, to stay where we were. I mean, we've retired to Saskatoon, which is still fairly small. Compared um, to, yeah, New York City or <laughs> Los yeah. Angeles or something. Uh, yeah. New York is big, but this is bigger. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was just a very comfortable place to uh, to live and work and raise a family. Yeah. I, I imagine there must have been quite a bit of connection to nature and your surroundings, too, living yes. in the small town communities. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, and just looking through your book and the illustrations and what you wrote about, I mean, there's just, there's all sorts of connections to nature and animals and ladybugs and <laughs> <laughs> it's just awesome. What is it about nature? Why is it important? Why, why connect there? Well, because without it, um, you know, it, it's around us, it's everywhere. It's um, something, unfortunately, we've taken for granted for far too long. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we need to um, have more people more concerned with, with nature and the environment and trying to maintain what we have uh, as opposed to, to um, losing what I grew up knowing and loving and living amongst. Um, you know, even you look in cities and, you know, they're paving paradise and putting up parking lots. And yeah. um, in the north, that's still not the case. There's wow. not a lot of, not a lot of parking lots. There's lots of um, beautiful lakes for fishing, lots of hiking. And um, I mean, the mountains in Yukon are amazing. They're, I mean, it, it just... I don't know if other people get the same feeling I do when you're out, uh, whether you're hiking in the mountains or skiing or doing whatever. It, it's just awe-inspiring, really, mm. when you consider what's out there. Yeah. And when you take the time, even in, even in Saskatchewan, you know, when people say, oh, it's so boring. Um, <laughs> and there are parts of it that really are. You know, you get down into Grasslands National Park, but when you stop and look down and see that there's all these little um, wildflowers and millions of bugs and rodents and stuff. Um, driving by on number one highway, yes, it's pretty boring. It's yeah. flat and looks brown. And But once you're in nature and amongst it and looking and paying attention, uh, it's a whole new world. Just as in, in, the, um, in the north, you know, spring in the north with berries and wildflowers, it's people think of it being frozen and, and snow-covered all the time, and that's, that's not really the case. Um, people have beautiful yards and flowers, and um, yeah. It's sacred. It sounds sacred, and it's, it sounds like it's constantly shifting through the seasons and the patterns, and, and if you're paying attention in the moment and looking beyond the surface of this is boring, um, yeah. Nature's always speaking to us. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the story I was sharing earlier today um, at a talk where I was, uh, last year I got married and my wife and I decided to move houses. I was in this house for 12 years and it, it, like getting married, I guess it meant I had to like separate my house. I was like, oh, I'll break up with my house. <laughs> and uh, I was in the backyard and it was March and there was still snow on the ground and I was standing back there and I was in my head and I was worrying about, is this the right decision? Am I going to be able to afford the mortgage? This is like, uh, and uh, all of a sudden I caught myself in that whirlwind and I just took a couple deep breaths and there was still snow on the ground, but not a word of a lie. All of a sudden, this butterfly flew around the backyard and across my path and I just had to pay attention. And I was like, what the heck is a butterfly doing here? And I was so inclined to look it up. And when I looked it up, what does it mean when a butterfly crosses your path? The first thing I read was, be open to new beginnings. And I just thought, wow, like, how does nature work so amazingly like that? Yeah. And uh, everything's going to be all right, you know? Um, and it has and turned it's been, out beautifully. It's been fine. And it's like, almost, nature almost has this, like, secret power or magic way of assuring us and giving us signs if we're paying attention, I find, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that's th that's the key. Paying attention, taking time to breathe, to look, yeah. to you know, to be in nature, not just being walking through. You uh -huh. know, you have to actually take the time to appreciate where Stop you are. Stop and, and smell the roses. Mm -hmm. And you know, I just again back to your book. Like when I'm looking through it, it it actually has so much of that. It kind of reminds me of a, a mindfulness practice to just read through and look at these pictures because there's just so many little details. It, it reminds me like I'm in nature when I see these illustrations that Morgan did and evokes memory, but also just like um, some serious wisdom in these paintings and mm -hmm. in these words. And how cool is this that you were able to channel all of this? It's just yeah. awesome, Ruth. And it, I mean, it was just a gift to be able to do it with my son. Yeah. You know, from the time he was a child, we used to say he's responsible for the destruction of, you know, how many forests with the amount of paper he went through. He, <laughs> he drew constantly. Um, yeah. And and so it was really nice to be able to collaborate with him. And, and basically, I would just, you know, for a, a given letter, I would choose the uh, alliterative statement I want give it to him and then he would just translate that into i i had absolutely no um input into the pictures whatsoever that's not my part i just you were writing the words i'm writing and you just i want you to just illustrate whatever comes to your mind when you read my words and and it worked out really well, I think. That's a great collaboration. Absolutely yeah. awesome. I'm just, uh, back to the North, I want to demystify this for all the American listeners. They always say, are there igloos in Canada? So <laughs> is this true? Is, is there still igloos up in, in the North, and do people live in igloos? Um, sometimes uh, it's not very common anymore, but when yeah. they go out hunting, uh, there's if you look at tea, oh, yeah. that is called a tupic, and it, it's a, a skin tent that hunters, when they go out on the land, um, and you know, if it's if it's one fellow out hunting, it his little tupic would be sort of a one man. Uh, it's it very much like a, a teepee for, okay. for Plains Cree. Um, but yes, they still um, they still do build igloo, and people live in them. It's mm. not not as common, of course, as it once was. But yeah, they they awesome. still do. How amazing! Yeah. Um, and know. in Alaska too, I'm sure that they uh, 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 still, uh, you know, I'm not as familiar with with uh, the Inuit of Alaska, but I'm sure. Really, the the um, animals and the culture of the four northern territories are are much like Canadians and Americans, and and our respect for the border. You know, like caribou don't stop when they get to. <laughs> <laughs> the Yukon Alaska border. They don't you know, have to cross it, it the border crossing. And yeah, talk there's a lot of free, <laughs> free crossing between, uh, and and very similar. Mind you, there's I think probably sixty different um, linguistic groups um, across the north. Um, wow. But lots of, I mean, there's lots of similarities and. Yeah. It's amazing that we're all sharing this planet, and there's just so much diversity and. Um, the, you know, we think we're so uh, separate, but then when you start researching these cultures, you realize, wow, even though we don't speak the same language, like there is inherent connection. We're mm -hmm. all sharing this planet. And to open yourself up to it, this uh, this book is really worth a read, even if you're not a kid. Oh, it's, uh, you know, that's interesting. Someone said to me the other day, uh, my neighbor, 
saw the book at my house, read it and said, what is a none of it? This was a, a Canadian um, living in Salmon Arm, BC, and said, what is a none of it? Mm. Had no idea that that was the newest territory. And new, I mean, 20 yeah. years ago. Right. Um, so there's information in here for people beyond uh, ABC age. Absolutely. Uh, there yeah. are things things that can be learned. Yeah, well, there's definitely some references in here that I'm not familiar with myself and makes me want to go look at your glossary at the back going, what yeah. is this? Just awesome. Um, and it's an award-winning book and an award-winning author now. This, yeah. is, this is just so exciting that this is all happening. It really is. And I really want to encourage people as we wrap up here to, to pick up a copy of this book, Never Rub Noses with a Narwhal, and, um, and do yourself a favor and, and learn a little bit about our incredible culture of um, Canada's north, the Arctic culture, it's just, and Alaska. It's just right. the U.S. north as well. It's just an incredible place to uh, explore and Wow. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, joining me on the podcast, Ruth. It's been great. I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to your next creation as it comes out as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. And good luck with your new book. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I hope that conversation with Ruth inspired you. And make sure to go check out her book, Never Rub Noses with a Norwell. Also, just a reminder, if you get an intuition this week to do something creative, whether it's do a piece of writing, sing a song, maybe it's even change careers, I highly recommend you to listen to the whispers of your heart and trust that because it's going to lead you to great things. I'll see you next time on Let's Connect. Let's Connect.